Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As you can tell from the decorations in the church, and thank you for everyone that took the time to do that, and I think we need to thank Bill, too, for all the work he's done out there on the, on the portico. Um, it is Christmas time. It's quickly approaching. You can tell by the shopping, too. Of course, if you went by that, we'd be celebrating Christmas in October. Next week is the first Sunday of the Advent season. And Advent means arrival. So the Advent season is a time for really a dual observation. We're celebrating the first Advent, the birth of Christ, and, we're, and we joyously anticipate his second Advent, when he'll return to reign over his kingdom. These are the two most important events in all of human history. The first Advent for Christ to bring light into the world and a path for redemption for all of humanity. And the second Advent to remake and restore the world and to gather his people to him. So instead of continuing in 1 John for one week, I'm instead going to begin to turn our attention to Advent. But I do think one of the themes of Advent, the coming light, follows along with much of what we've discussed in 1 John as we've talked about the darkness and the light. 1 John 1.5 said, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. In 1 John 2.10, he said, Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So one of the purposes of the Advent candles is to demonstrate the contrast between, between darkness and light. John writes in his Gospels that Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world, to contrast with the darkness and sin in the world. So I asked the church when the church was decorated last Sunday to put the Advent candles out for today, a week before the first candle will be lit so that today it will be a visible representation of the darkness the world was in before Christ came. And as we light each of these candles and the light builds, we can experience symbolically the light of the coming Jesus. And as his advent or coming draws nearer, another candle is lit. And with each candle dispelling the darkness just a little bit more. The advent candles are here to help us to contemplate the great drama of the history of our salvation, that surrounds the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to redeem the human race. So today we're turning to Genesis 2, 7 through 17, really to the beginning of our salvation's history. And if you, if you have your Bible and would like to turn there, Genesis 2, 7 through 17, and if you're able to stand as I read, I'm going to read that for us now. Genesis 2, verses 7 through 17. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. 
And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good, aromatic resin, and onyx are there also. The name of the second river is Gishon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of the Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it you will surely die. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this season. Thank you for the reminder of our coming Savior in the light of these candles. Help us to celebrate, even as we contemplate today the darkness that the world was in, help us to celebrate the coming of the light of Christ. And help us as we see these candles lit also, eagerly anticipate your second coming. The day when you will gather us to you, call us by name, and establish your kingdom here on earth. Thank you, Lord, for all you have done for us. Be with your word today. Speak clearly through me. Touch, touch our hearts. Teach us what you want from this message. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Please be seated. God formed man from the dust of the ground. And the word formed here is the same word that's used to describe how a potter molds clay. God shaped man, putting everything in place exactly where he wanted it, giving everything in man a purpose. And then after he had finished man, man laid there carefully formed but empty of life. And God breathed life into the man, into his nostrils, and he became a living being, a living creature, a living soul, an individual full of desires, of appetites and emotions, all his own. It's hard for me to imagine a more careful, intimate creation than the one described here in Genesis. Shaped by his hands, given life with his breath. And then after man, or Adam, whose name, if you don't know, Adam just is the simple, simply the word in Hebrew for man. Adam was formed and he needed a home. And I imagine looking around at the beauty of the primeval world, Adam would have been quite content to live just about anywhere. But God had a special place in mind for him. God had planted a garden in the land of Eden, where he had made a stunning variety of beautiful trees grow, all kinds of trees, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for eating. And God irrigated it with a large river. So large of a river did he irrigate it with that it split into four other rivers, large rivers that would, that would, th that would flow throughout ancient pre-flood Mesopotamia. And I'm going to forego geography lessons this morning, although it always fascinates me. But I do want to point out that the details of these rivers and the lands that they flowed through are so detailed, it's evidence that the Garden of Eden was a real place, not a fable. Moses carefully records the details of its location, which presumably were either passed down from Adam through Noah 
or were given directly to Moses through God. He says, a river watering the gardens flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was Pishon. And he names the four rivers and the lands that they flowed through. And this garden was man's home. It was where he lived. And the word Eden means pleasure or delight. And in a very real sense, this was a garden of pleasure. It was paradise. A place where man could live without want or anxiety. A place where God himself visited to walk with man. And a place where the man had meaningful work to do in caring for this garden. A place where God was attentive to his needs. So attentive that in verse 22, when God saw that it wasn't good for him to be alone, a woman was created to be his companion. And in chapter 1, 28 and 29, God blessed both the man and woman and gave them dominion over the land and the plants and the animals. It says in those verses, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food, and to all the beasts of the earth, and to all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food, and it was so. When we read these first two chapters in Genesis, you read that God had carefully created a world with light, with time, with land and sea, with plants to cover the land, and animals to inhabit the sea, the land, and the sky. And lastly, into this world he had carefully planned, he put a man and gave him charge of it and everything in it. A perfect world, a perfect man, and a perfect woman. And at the end of the sixth day, God looked at all that he had created, and he saw that it was very good. I think it's hard for us to imagine, but in Adam's heart, there was absolutely no inclination to evil. All that he chose to do was to please his creator, to please God. When he ate, when he drank, God was honored. He had no greed, no ingratitude, no selfishness. Every morning when he woke up, his first thoughts were how he could please God for the day. And at the end of the day, he give, gave thanks to God for the blessings that God had provided to him. He had nothing to fear from the creatures in the garden. He had no nightmares or fears to haunt him in the darkness. He was never depressed. He was never worried. He was never discontent. He was never afraid. Can you picture what a glorious creature man must have been. In all the hosts of heaven, with the cherubim and the archangels, there wasn't one that was made like God made man in his image. And when Lord visited Eden, he saw his own reflection in his creation, in the faces and the being of Adam and Eve. We think about Moses and how he saw God, just glimpsed God, and how brightly his face reflected God's glory, that the Israelites were afraid to look on him. You wonder how brightly Adam and Eve glowed from walking with their creator. Adam, who was created in God's own image and free of any sin, must have been glorious in his holiness. His love for God burned bright, 
as he sought God's will every moment of every day. Adam had no impurities whatsoever, no hidden motives, no selfish thoughts. There was nothing in Adam that did not give God pleasure. Man and woman were walking in God's light in harmony with their creator at perfect peace. And this was God's intention for mankind. He loved his creation. He desired that his love be reciprocal. But for love to have any meaning, love has to be chosen. So Adam was given a choice. In verse 16, the Lord commands the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good or evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. John 14, 23, Jesus says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And this was really the opportunity that humankind was given. They were given an opportunity to love their God, to walk in his light, the light they had been created for, the light that they were intended to walk in, and the light they had been created in. They had never known darkness. They had never known loss or pain or sorrow. They were perfectly healthy. They had access to the tree of life and all the other wonderful fruit in the garden. They had companionship with their God and with one another. And, God, and the God who loved them had given them so much, he only asked for love in return. Eden was a paradise, a utopia. God's goodness was clearly demonstrated in his design of the garden. The features of the garden clearly showed the depth of God's love for his creation, for man's welfare, provision, security, joy, and happiness. The garden was designed by God as the ideal place for humanity to have a home. In no way did God fall short in his provision for humankind or his love for them. And he offered man a choice. Continue to live in paradise or die. He said, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good or evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Adam, you're free to eat from any tree, but you shouldn't eat from that tree because it will be your death if you do so. To me, and probably to many of us, it certainly seems like a simple choice. Eternal paradise or death. But we know how this ended. That Eve was deceived and Adam chose death. He turned his back on God's light and he stepped into the darkness. Adam had known good, but in disobeying God, he discovered evil. In his disobedience, he allowed the darkness to manifest itself. And Adam and Eve's perceptions began to change. All of a sudden, the light of God in the paradise they lived in was no longer a safe and holy place. It was fearful. They were naked and ashamed. They were afraid of the God who loved them, and they hid from him. And then they were cast out of their home where they had, to walk, where they had walked in safety and provision in the love of God to experience a world separated from their creator. And apart from God, the world was a place of pain, meaningless toil, death, and decay. Genesis 3, 17 through 19, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. But you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to the dust you will return. God had made man holy and righteous. 
And man polluted himself and the garden that he was put in, his home. And that holy light within Adam was extinguished. God had given Adam glory and honor, but man exchanged that glory for shame. And I don't think words can fully express, nor can our minds fully comprehend or grasp the loss. From the heights of glory to the depths of shame, Adam and Eve fell. And we may sometimes think it's a shame when some popular celebrity does something to tarnish their good image and falls into disgrace. But this here, this was the fall. No one could ever fall farther. God had demonstrated his love for Adam and Eve by giving them paradise and the choice to love him. Because really, love without any choice is merely imprisonment, even in paradise. And imprisonment is not what God wanted for this man he had created in his own image. So Adam was offered a choice, and Adam chose darkness over the light. And now, instead of living in paradise, we live our lives in a wasteland. The beautiful garden has become a wilderness. Humankind was created to live forever in the light of their creator. Now we're a race of dying men and women, because the wages of sin is death. So today, as we look at these unlit Advent candles, this is where Adam and the rest of the human race who followed him were. They were in darkness with no light to guide them. Bertrand Russell, the atheist philosopher, said in his essay, A Free Man's Worship, the life of man is a long march through the night, surrounded by invisible foes, tortured by weariness and pain, toward a goal that few can hope to reach and where none may tarry long. One by one, as they march, our comrades vanish from our sight, seized by the silent orders of omnipotent death. Brief and powerless is man's life. On him and all his race, the slow, sure doom falls, pitiless and dark. Blind to good and evil, reckless of destruction, omnipotent matter rolls on its relentless way. And it may seem kind of strange to quote an atheist philosopher. And there's probably not a whole lot I find myself in agreement with Bertram Russell, the atheist. But this picture of a world without God is a place where our beliefs may just intersect. To live apart from God is a very dark place to be. But unlike the atheist Bertram Russell, I do believe that, I don't believe that death is omnipotent. Because I believe that there is a God. And I believe that God, who had created a paradise for man, never intended for his creation, who he had so carefully formed in his image and breathed life into, to be banished from his presence forever without any hope of restoration to the glory he had created them for. But the cost of God making paradise for man was nothing compared to the cost of restoring that paradise to him. The one was spoken into existence, but to restore him, to fix him, cost him his own son. But he paid the price because of his love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There is hope for fallen man through the grace of God. God can take fallen man, he can lift us up, and he can restore us to the glory he created us for. Although Adam, in some ways, was offered a unique choice between light and darkness, we are all now, because of Jesus, 
offered a very similar choice between living in God's light or living separated from him in darkness. And in some ways it may have seemed easier for Adam to remain in the light than it is for us to step out of sin and darkness into the light. But remember, Adam began in the light. In the paradise God had created for him, he didn't know pain or need unmet or the sorrow of any loss. In his innocence, he may not have fully realized the consequence of his choice. Even the penalty of death may not have carried the same weight with Adam as it does with each of us who knows it, since at this time no human had ever died. So there was no experiential wisdom with Adam to make him draw away from this choice like there would be for us today. We begin our lives immersed in sin. It's in the world around us, and it is in us. We begin our lives as babies, crying out with needs that are never fully met, no matter how hard our parents may try. Pain enters our lives before long, and as we grow, we learn about loss, we learn about death, we learn about sorrow. The world is not a garden of delight. Yes, there is still a joy and happiness in this world that God has created for us, but the sin in the world has brought with it deep sorrows to each of us as well. So our choice, while more difficult, because the darkness of the world is sometimes very comfortable to us, can also be seen as an easier choice. Because we understand death and pain. And we deeply desire eternal life reunited with our God, who loves us and wants to care for us. And because Jesus has paid the price for sin, we can now choose to be reunited with our Creator. Adam's disobedience no longer keeps us all in sin and the darkness that came when we were banished from our God. Romans 5, 18 through 20 says, Consequently, just, as just one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. There seems to be a marvelous harmony in God's plan. Righteous Adam chose to become a sinner, and all of us are sinners because of his disobedience. But as sinners, we can now choose to be made righteous because of Jesus' obedience. By eating the forbidden fruit, Adam chose to put his will over God's will for him. In order for us to regain what was lost, we have to choose to reverse Adam's decision and once again put God's will above our own as we follow Christ. Through Adam, we all fell. Paradise was lost. But through Christ, we are lifted up and paradise, paradise can be regained. We can be transformed and our relationship with God can be repaired. So, as we look at these unlit candles this week, remember that in the Garden of Eden, a perfect world was plunged into darkness by man's rebellion and his disobedience. And as we light these Advent candles in this Advent season, let it fill you with anticipation as we see the light return to the world. First with the light of hope, and then love, and then joy, and then peace. And finally on Christmas Eve, we'll light the Christ candle. 
And as we celebrate the light that was returned to the world with Jesus Christ's first advent, let us not forget to look eagerly forward to his second advent, when his light will ultimately sweep away all the remaining darkness in the world, and we can once again know what it is to live in paradise with our God. Pray with me. Father, it's hard to contemplate the fall of man because it's hard for us to imagine living in perfect purity and righteousness as Adam once did and Eve along with him. But we know that this world is broken. We don't have to look around too hard to know that. And we do know that you love us. We know that you intend better things for us. You intended a paradise. And instead we live in darkness. But you have given us a way to step back into your light for that relationship to be restored through Jesus Christ. You've given us a way for his righteousness to be our own. So that when we walk with you, we can be restored, we can be in your light, and not in the darkness of the world. Thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you for the symbol of Advent, for this happiness and joy of this Advent season. Help it to be a contemplative time as well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.